You know, it's funny. We were talking uh, Sunday school, was it two weeks ago? We were talking about the God's goodness and love on one side, how it goes on to a thousand generations, and on the other side, the you know, for those who hate Him, His punishment goes on to the second, the third, and the fourth generation. And it's one of those ones you kind of look at and go, "Man, that just doesn't." You know, the, the the sins of the father are on the father versus the sins on the, you know, go to the son. Well, and God says that it continues on down through. And we talked about that a little bit in Sunday school. And it struck me, I was in the car and I was flipping through the radio. And I heard this song and it comes up with a title on it. And the title is what caught me because it actually had, the kids aren't all right. And I went, Okay, well, that's an interesting title. I'm like, turn this. I want to hear the words to this. Um, it was interesting. It, it kind of starts off as when we were young, the future was so bright, the old neighborhood was so alive, and every kid on the whole darn street was going to make it big and not beat and not be beat. Now the neighborhood's cracked and torn. The kids are grown up, but their lives are worn. How can one little street swallow so many lives? And it says, chances thrown, nothing's free. Longing for what used to be, still it's hard to see fragile lives and shattered dreams. And it's, it's one of those things, it's like, there's that second, third, fourth generation, you know, and, and I guess part of what struck me is, you know, that's, that's just one chorus, it continues on. I went, looked it up to find the words to it because I couldn't quite hear all the words, I'm getting old. And there's actually two songs by that name, one back in 98 and one back, or one just in 14. One's by Offspring, one's by Fallout Boys. And yet they're both same theme. Kids aren't all right. Why? Because there's this problem. There's this, this sin issue that's going on. And they're talking about the shattered lives and the fragile dreams. And it's one of those things I sit there and think, you know, I was looking at the prodigal son. And you look at, oftentimes we talk about how do we witness to people? How do we reach out to somebody? And sometimes we don't understand what it's like to be sitting in the mud pit, looking at the pods, going, man, that's, that, that looks good to eat. I wish I could eat that, but I've I got to give that to the pigs. I've got no place. I feel no love. I'm just thrown out. I'm used. There's nothing left. My life is worn. And I thought it was interesting because it's one of those ones, if, if we're going to witness, we need to remember what we're witnessing, remember that it's Jesus, remember the gospel, but also not be oblivious to the fact of the mindset of where they came from. And part of that is also to make sure that we don't end in that mindset or let ourselves slip to it, wander off. If you want, turn to Luke 15, 11 through 24. Luke chapter 15, 11 to 24. We'll open with prayer here. Heavenly Father, I just ask that you would help us to understand your will. Help us to understand your word. Guide us in serving you, no matter what that looks like. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Um, so, with that 
bummer of a lead-in, I want to talk to you guys about partying. How's that? We, we, do, do we party at all? No? Yes? We were at the Ryan's wedding. A little after 10, I walked over to court. I think it was Scott was standing there, Harry. And I said, um, so about this time, Mary walks up to Jesus and says, they're out of wine. And he's there laughing. I said, and she looks at him. It's not my time. She says, do whatever he says. If he says, just do what he says. And he, yes, mom. <laughs> you know, I can see. He's like, okay. And that kicks off the first miracle that we're aware of. You know, Mary knew something else was going on, right? She knew. But it was just that there are right ways to party. There are good times for parties. And I, and I look at the contrast of, you know, the story and, you know, the, the, the work, the Mondays at work. Yeah, we did this party, blah, blah, and I don't really remember what happened. You know, I always remember that in college and high school. And we had a party last weekend. I, I don't remember what we did. It was, we had a good time, though. Really? Because you were up pretty sick the next day or two. You don't look very healthy. But there's a, a right way to do it. And there's a right time for it. Luke 15, 11 starts this way. And, he's, and he said, a man had two sons. This is Jesus speaking. The younger of them said to his father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up, came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found, and they began to celebrate. Isn't that a great story? We're going to focus on this part. We're going to leave the second son for another time. I want to focus on this part of it. There's different mindsets. You ever psyched yourself up like, I've got to go talk to this person? <sighs> okay. Before I go talk to my wife, here's what I need to say. Right? You got to have a conversation. I got to talk to the boss. Here's what I got to say. I got to make this pitch. Here's what I have to say. I work it out. No, I need to say it this way. You imagine him sitting in the in, in the in the Pigsty thinking that way? How I got to purchase to dad? Okay, dad, um, I, I really messed up, and here's why, you know, and right? He's, he's working through all that. You can see him even as he's trudging there. No, I need to say it this way. And he's, he's going through that in his mind. 
What's the father thinking? Right? He's looking. Looking for his son. He's like, you know, how many dads watch the news? Listen to the news. Get the news time right. Catch it one way or another. My dad, the 6 o'clock news was always on. What amazed me is he had the paper up. You go to change the channel. Don't touch that. How did you look through the paper? I didn't know. I, yeah. But he stayed on top of it. You think that father didn't know that there was a, a famine in the land? You think he didn't know what was going on? What the unemployment level was? What was happening to people? How cold and cruel the world really was? And he's like, my son's out there. Is he coming back? Is something, I mean, is he coming back? I look at, in the end of chapter 44 of Genesis, this is Jacob's sons are, are go, before Jake, go before Joseph, right? And what do they have to do? They have to go back. They have to bring Benjamin, right? They have to take Benjamin up to see Joseph. And Judah's or Jacob's like, no, not going. Nope, we're not going to do it. Finally, it's like, okay, we're out of food. We got to go get food. Got to take Benjamin. Nope, not doing that. Finally, everybody's hungry, and he's like, so is that the only way you can do it? Yes, we have to take him. <sighs> really? I mean, Reuben's like, Dad, we could have been there and back twice. <laughs> okay, we, we got to go do this. Let us go. We're all going to starve to death. Do you think Jacob was looking for the family coming back? Looking for those boys? Or you just go in the tent and sit down? Well, probably lost Benjamin. Or do you think he was sitting by the front of the tent waiting? Looking Looking for somebody to crest the edge of that horizon so he could see him coming. I think in that same story, you know, the father looked at him in verse 22. It says, but the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. In the song Amazing Grace, we, we look at it and say what? I was lost and I was found. I was blind, but now I see. Notice the change in his status. What did the father recognize in the status of that son? My son who was dead is now alive. I had nothing. We stay in touch with each other all the time, don't we? Get the phone. I, I do my pat down before I leave the office, the car, the house. Make sure I have my phone with me. Kids laugh because I start getting twitchy if I don't have my phone. It took me a lot to put it down there. <laughs> We stay in touch all the time. What if he had just gone? No contact, you don't know. No messages, it's quiet. Not a word. It's kind of like his son was dead. And he's waiting. I like what happens is, the son has got this whole line prepared, right? Right? He walks up, and he starts with a line he's got prepared. Dad, I've sinned before heaven. I've sinned before you. And the dad's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, give me a hug. Great. Get the, get the sandals on him. Get the, get the, get the fat and calf going. We're going to start this party. You know, what happened with, with the whole conversation he's going to have? Dad wasn't even having it, was he? Dad's like, you know, it says, but the father... No, no, no. Father's not sitting there going, so, how'd that work out for you? 
Congratulations, you burn everything, huh? Looks like you lost some weight. Is that what the father did? Absolutely not. Dad's overjoyed. His son is alive. Notice what it did. It took a change, though. It says in verse 18, I will get up and go to my father and will say to him. Right? Did it matter what the son said to the father? Because the dad's looking for him. He's looking for him from a distance. Gets up and runs out to him. When Jacob is told of his sons and he's told of Joseph, his spirit is lifted. They say, I'm going to see my son before I die. We're going to Egypt. Let's go. And they're like, okay. You ever seen somebody kind of almost get off a deathbed? You ever seen that? You're like, I'm not sure we should tell them the news. They tell them the news and they're like getting up. I think of it in in, uh, Willy Wonka, the grandfather. He can hardly move, right? We're going to go see the tour. All right, he suddenly is full of life. I see the father doing that, looking and going to that excitement. So he got up and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him. The father was anxious and eager, but what was the change in the son? Verse 18 says this, I will get up and go to my father. You know what? I've had enough. I, 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 I'm, I'm going to go there. You know, it's, it's a picture of simple belief. It didn't say, hey, this is going to solve everything. This is going to, you know what? I know it's better in dad's place. Even the servants eat there. I don't even get food here. I'm going there. He made a decision. Simple belief is sometimes overlooked. And I think that robs part of our joy. Look at Numbers 21, 6 through 9. Numbers 21, 6 through 9 says this. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. So the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord and you. Intercede with the Lord that he may remove the serpent from us, serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard, and it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it up on the standard, and it came about that if a serpent bit any man, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Wow, that's complicated, isn't it? So I got bit. Okay, I'm healed. That was real complicated, wasn't it? Oh, I'm just not going to look. Right? What's the choice there? Is, is, is there an action there? Yeah. It's the simplest action is, I have to believe that if I look, I, I believe in God. So I'll look. I, I believe. That's how simple faith can be. Look, we just read about the thief on the cross. Luke 23, 40-43 says this, But the other answered and rebuking him said, Do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly for we are receiving what we, receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. 
And Jesus looked at him and said, well, you need to be able to quote the scripture and you need to do this and you need to do it. And didn't, did he? Jesus says to him, and he said to him, truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Wow. So he didn't walk an aisle. He didn't do a bunch of things. The simplest form of belief. Now, let me be clear on something. There's a lot more going on. The father's going, hey, get the robe, get the sandals, get this, get the fattened calf. We're going to start doing this. Right? The father's got that under control. Is that what the thief on the cross had to handle? Is that what the Israelite who was bitten by a serpent had to handle? Nope. All you had to do is a basic level of belief. Look at the woman who touched his robe in Luke 8. Who touched me? Peter. There's a whole bunch of people around. What do you mean who touched you? Right? I can imagine Peter. I kind of give him a New York accent. You know, he's like, what are you doing? What are you talking about? You know, the Syrophoenician woman in, woman, in Matthew 15, he says, And he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, Yes, Lord. But even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. What a statement. Literally says, you're not good enough. She says, I still believe. I still believe in you. Simple belief. Jesus, you know, credits that with great faith. Mark 9, 20, 24 is a passage I like because when it comes to belief, you know, it's amazing as humans, something so simple as, all I have to do is look at the serpent. Some people didn't do it. Simple belief, that little bit. And I sometimes picture myself in this one. In, in Mark 9, 20 and 24, it says this. They brought the boy to him. When he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion. And falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. It has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the boy's father cried out, I do believe, help my unbelief. Simple belief. What does it take for us to have it? One of the things I would say is don't overlook the simplicity of the gospel because that's part of how we lose our joy. I have all this other stuff I have to do. I've got that complication steals our joy. It's a gift. When we recognize that gift on a daily basis, it, it brings about a joy to us. One of the things we often try, well, this person's not doing this. They're not changing. You know what? It's not your job to change people. Isn't that great? Congratulations. You don't have to change people. That's the Holy Spirit's job. That's God's job. That's on the Father's side where he's saying, go get the robes, servant, you go do this, you go do that. He'll handle all that. Titus 3, 5 says, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine the dad after you hugs him and stuff? He's like, whoa, son, let's get you a bath. Come on, let's get you a bath. We're going to get you cleaned off. Just from the travels, from the road, let alone you've been in a pigsty for the last how long? Tell me about it. What's been going on in your life? 
Jesus would sit down and take a small child on his lap and say, unless you are like this, all right, think back when you have a little one who says, you say something, you might say something outrageous, and they go, okay. Do we accept that? Do we believe it? Do we have that childlike faith, that little bit of simple faith and the joy that it provides? If you're blocking that simple faith, there is a passage that talks about it's better that a millstone were hung around your neck and you were dropped in the deep ocean. You know, it's kind of like that we first talked about he loves those unto a thousand generations who love him and those who oppose him. There is a curse. Take the gift and enjoy it. Share that gift with others and remember the simplicity of that gift. Now, it's interesting because you notice he says, put a ring on his finger. That kind of bypasses us this, in this day and age. Right? We get rings for decorations. We get rings for marriages. We get suffer rings. We get, no, sorry, that goes back to the marriage. No, we, we get the rest of this, right? You guys are alive, right? Okay, thank you. One of the things I want to ask, though, is this. What does that ring mean when the father puts that ring on the son's hand? What's it doing to him? It's a family status symbol, isn't it? You bet the other brother had one on his hand. If you want to be able to mark anything for the family or buy it, pay for it, you've got to have that little seal. You've got to have that mark on your hand. Well, how do I know who you are? We pull out a driver's license now, right? Well, this is who I am. I got my driver's license. I can pull this out and I pull that out and pull all my ID out. Guess what? That ring is it. It's a symbol of he's in the family. At that point there, all the servants knew, oh, got it. Dad's number one. He's probably number two or three, somewhere in that ranking. But as long as he doesn't counteract dad, got it. We follow that rule. It's a ring of adoption in a sense because the father just said, he's in the family. If he goes out to somebody else, put the ring on him, they're in the family. They're welcomed in like that. The prodigal son came in with a plan to negotiate, right? He'd worked it out in his mind. Maybe I can make this pitch to dad and this is what he'll accept. Dad was like, yeah, right. Welcome back, son. And in a joy that the, the son had not expected, that ring conveyed it. That ring brought a legal action. It brought a justification for him that he's part of the family. Now, think about this. What happens in adoption? You end up with different parentage, right? If we think about it in terms of our father in heaven adopting us, we stop saying our father and we start saying my father, right? We've been calling out Abba, Daddy, right? Little kids look up, Daddy, right? Especially if they fall, a little scrape on the knee. They can't even get up at that moment, can they? They're looking up, Daddy. Do we do that? Do we cry out in simple faith like that? Because we have different parentage once we're adopted. It's not the devil going, hmm. Let me do it again. It's God the Father stepping down saying, hold on. You have different homes. 
You have the pigsty. You have mansions in heaven. A little bit different. Different clothes. Do you think he came home wearing much after being in the pigsty? and very, Probably rags. Most people would have just kind of dismissed him as a poor beggar who was going to ignore him. That's not what the father saw. The father said, get the best robe. Can you imagine one of the servants thinking, yeah, that robe, really? We're going to get that one? Okay, Dad. You're the boss. Like Christ puts his robe of righteousness around us. We have a different inheritance. Guess what? Sitting in the pigsty, did he have an inheritance? Nope, he blew it all. Not once he got that ring back on, though. Same for us. We have an inheritance. Do we look at that inheritance or we go, oh, the bills are in, this is going on, somebody's sick, i got to do this, oh, the work just piled up. Where's the joy? Do we let it go that fast? Do we stop looking up at the fiery serpent? Or I should say the bronze serpent? Or we let those little serpents bite at us? Now, please understand, there's, there's the name it and claim it group, and they have a major fallacy in what they claim. So they're like, oh, well, you know, I'm a son of God, and therefore I can... If I want this, I'll claim it. I'm going to have a multimillionaire house and I'm going to have a big car. And And what they focus on is a short-term physical want rather than a long-term spiritual need. They're not looking at what God wants and wants best. They're looking at their own hearts. If If we don't do that, there's a great change that occurs. It's it's Many times it's kind of like the spiritual equivalent of if you ask a child, what do you want to eat? Right? I want chicken fingers and french fries. Can we go to McDonald's? How do they do that? They come out knowing McDonald's. It's amazing. But would they continue doing that all the time? Yeah, they keep doing it. Unless you teach them other things, teach them what to ask for, teach them different things, but that's part of what the adoption to the home does. They're taught new things. There's a parallel picture of that in marriage. That, that, let me put it this way. Court talked about in Ephesians 5, and usually whoever's preaching during a sermon or during a marriage will, will talk about um, Ephesians chapter 5. And it's good, but I want to kind of actually go back into a different passage, which is in Hosea chapter 2, 19 and 20, it says this, God the Father is speaking to Israel, and it's a picture, just like in Ephesians 5, of Jesus speaking to the bridegroom and to the Christian. He says this, I will, be, I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in loving kindness and in compassion, and I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. Then you will know the Lord. Now picture that. As a picture of Christ... Those things we just run through. Righteousness, justice, loving kindness, compassion, faithfulness, and knowing the Lord. Run through those real quick. Think about that. Because that's the picture of marriage. That's the picture of adoption that we end up with. Righteousness. We are given an account of righteousness. It's the righteousness of Jesus. Abraham 
What happened? Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Simple belief. That's where we start with the righteousness aspect. That's the robe that's put around us. Justice, the price of sin is paid. What is the price of sin? The wages of sin is? After Jesus healed many in Matthew 12, 17 and 21, it says this, This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A battered reed he will not break off, and a smoldering wick he will not put out until he leads justice to victory. And in his name the Gentiles will hope. Loving kindness. Deuteronomy 5.7 says this, But showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. We can even bring it into the New Testament and talk about John 14.15 where he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. A lot of people, oh, there steals the joy. That just stole the joy. We've got things to do, right? Really? Why don't you love him, have the belief, let the Spirit do the work, remember? Not only rely on God to change the other people, God actually, if we let him, will change us. That's part of the beauty of the joy. That's part of the gift. In fact, it's put this way in Romans 5a as we go into compassion. But God commends his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Which leads us down to faithfulness. Is there anyone more faithful than God? We could spend a whole sermon just on this one issue. Matthew 28, 20 says it this way, teaching them to observe all that I command you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's good. But what's the application mean? Jesus is with you. He's with you. Okay. I like how Paul does it in Romans. It says this, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I almost hear that as a mantra of Paul. Here they come with the stones again. Oh, they're getting ready to run me out of town. Here comes another beating. Oh, now we're fighting demons. We've got to cast out those. Now we're fighting this. And I can almost hear that as a mantra for Paul. Height, nor depth, principalities, powers, and he just, I know he's with me in this. Rubber meeting the road, this is what it means for God to be faithful, for Jesus to carry me through. Which brings us to that final piece of know the Lord. Jeremiah 31, 34 says this, They will not teach, they will not teach again, each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. Now, if you're among believers, that's an answered promise, isn't it? I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. What does that lead us to? That leads us back to the party we started talking about, right? Not a party where we go, hey, I'm going to drink so much I can't remember what happened, and hey, we had a good time, right? <laughs> oh, I feel bad. Instead, for the prodigal, he gets a party, right? Immediately, the father says, kill the fattened calf. We're having a party. We're cooking out. 
roast it. The Christian rejoicing. Look at two parables above the prodigal son. We've got the lost coin in between. Luke 15, 6 and 7 says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you in the same way that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. If we look at the picture of the marriage supper of the Lamb, there's a marriage festival. Revelation 19, 7, 8 says this, Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Now let's be real clear on what that says there. That fine linen, those righteous acts were decorations for her. They are not what got her to the party. That was Jesus' righteousness that put her in her place, that allowed her to come. But think about it. Those righteous acts of the saints are now decorations to glorify the Father. Don't wear out. Don't tire of doing good. Don't tire of being righteous and doing righteous acts. Be encouraged. You're getting decorations ready for that day. You're preparing for another party and doing those righteous acts. Be joyous. Make the decorations. Isn't that neat what they're going to look like sometime? Oh, that's when so-and-so sacrificed for this. That's when so-and-so helped me on this. That's when so-and-so encouraged me here. Simple acts, simple belief. Don't let the world complicate it. Let's go ahead and stand and sing and rejoice. I want to make sure we're singing to the God who loves us, Jesus who redeems us, and the Spirit who continues to lift us and stay with us.